0: Welcome to where Two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson.
1: And I'm Livius Uh Tonight we're reviewing Queen of the Struggle, which is the sequel to The Rebellion's Last Traitor by Nick Corpin. I always hate saying his name because I'm never sure I'm saying it right. And the thing that happens for me, having a name that's uh, more difficult to pronounce or remember, I always really try to get people's names right, and then I feel super bad if I don't.
0: Yeah, I, I... I... That's good. So like even if you're saying it wrong, like at least you have like the the right mm-hmm. uh intent. Um I'm from my understanding it's corpon and I always corpon. kind of just like remember it as coupon. Oh, coupon, all right, coupon, Nick coupon. coupon. Love it. Nick Coupon. Um All right. But like so one of us is wrong and um and I'm sure he gets it
1: all the time though like Yeah. with a name like corpon. Yeah. So but <laughs> That, not to get too far off. I know like we literally just <laughs> were like two sentences in. But I uh, I go to – I'm done going to this place I think because the service there today was especially bad. But on, uh, on my days off, I, I have a tendency to go get um, a hot dog, like a two hot dog combo meal at a place um, very nearby. And the woman that works every Wednesday that takes my order is just – it's always like this really awkward interaction with her. <laughs> And it's always bad. So I walk in and and already like my lunch is partially ruined because she's standing there ready to take my order. And then she'll <laughs> want to chit chat for a little bit and and not with any concern if I want to chit chat or any just like, you know, I, I don't know. Explain. At any rate, the point I'm trying to make is today their boss must have reinstituted writing people's names down. It's the kind of place where they take your order and they write it on a on the outside of a bag. Yeah. But it's not the bag they give you their food in, which just seems terrible because it just seems like they waste a ton of bags like I don't understand (laughs) the concept. So um, she goes, "Uh, can I get your name, hon? And I said, sure, it's Livius. And her eyes like she goes into like this panic mode. So I start very slowly spelling it for her. And I I go (laughs) L-I-V-I-U-S. And she writes L-I and looks up at me again. So I said, V-I-U-S. And she puts out V-I, and she's like, oh, that's probably enough. So my (laughs) thought on this is, I feel like you asked me for my name, and because my name's not like Steve or Fred or Bob, like somehow I felt a little slighted that she wasn't very concerned about writing my whole name down, although I knew from previous experiences that the guy giving me my food would not try to call my name out, would just repeat my order. So... Does Siri have some input on that? Siri, I got it. yeah. Sorry about that. Apologies. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, so, anyway, <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is, you don't need somebody's name to give them their their food or their order. And if you do think that you do, and you put someone through the trouble of spelling their name, you should pay attention and then be able to repeat it back when needed. Just go the whole
0: the whole way. Like that sounds yeah, so I, weird. Is, she uh... was
1: she was willing to give up halfway through spelling my name. Like, oh no, that's okay. <laughs>
0: that's probably enough that's the the best thing is that she said it's probably enough yeah and God. she was yeah willing She's to let so it go
1: and you have no idea right, one day we're going to go there for lunch because i want you to understand how terrible this woman is
0: so can i ask are you not saying where you went because people who are listening won't know or because you want to protect the uh the reputation of the place
1: oh i don't think anybody local enough listens it's, it's that it's big jacks on Hainesville and uh
0: Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Hansel and Washington. Yeah. I just didn't think it really mattered. But um, I, I, I like, and then, and then on top of it all, like I had to wait forever. Like at one point, I'm pretty sure nobody was making food for five minutes. And then the guy <laughs> who I think is the owner was calling out. He's like, hey, where are you guys? Like oh, no. it was just like this really terrible, terrible. It's, it, the food's good. I mean, I like their hot dogs. I was, it's hard to screw up hot dogs, but I thought you were going to say Sammy's. No, no, no. Sammy's. I like Sammy's too. Sammy's is good. But yeah, the big Jack's yeah. has an outside table and it was 63 degrees out at like one o'clock today. So I wanted to sit outside and eat. It was an absolute heat wave today. Mm-hmm. It's pretty
0: exciting. Um, I, I don't think that my lunch uh, is, was exciting enough to talk about. So I'm going to bow out of that part of the conversation if that's okay. That's, that's fine. <laughs> that's
1: fine. Rob, I probably said enough. Yeah.
0: But um I also didn't have any weird name interactions with people, so yeah. <laughs> Corpon, I believe. Corban. Nick can probably correct us on that. We got a 50-50 chance. Well, we have a hundred percent chance because one of us is saying it right. Correct.
1: <laughs> all right, tell folks a little bit about Nick and his sweet, sweet bio. Here's all right, so this
0: is beautiful. Uh Nick Corbon is the author of several books, including The Soul Standard and Stay God Sweet Angel. He lives in Baltimore with his wife and two children. So a couple things missing. He didn't mention, you know, Queen of the Struggle. He didn't mention Rebellion's Last Traitor. Uh, obviously, he didn't mention the book anthology. Um, but otherwise, I think that's a pretty sweet bio.
1: Yeah, he kept it very short and simple. So I yeah. love it. Unlike the names of his characters and locations in this book. Um, so, yeah, we mentioned this was a sequel. Um, I believe a third book is forthcoming. I don't have a name for that, but again, we can interrogate Nick about that in an upcoming episode, uh, as he has agreed to be on the podcast with us. Uh, So a couple of things before I read this. This is a sci-fi book, and we're reviewing a sequel. So I'm already, I'm geared up.
0: Two strikes right there.
1: I'm ready. So (laughs) the rest of this is going to have to be perfect. (laughs) Here's the synopsis that I'm going to mispronounce, much like I did Nick's name. Overthrowing the tyrannical Tethadan government should have been cause for celebration. But as Eton Eiton City, announces its independence, soldiers from the northern, northern province of Vargmansjor storm the ceremony and annex the city. The cruelties of the Tethadan soon pale <laughs> beside their new ruler's atrocities. Henrik finds himself resettled in the north in a city where the people seem happy and well until its labor camps and enslaved spirits come to light. The rebellion must begin anew in Eaton City and throughout Vargman's Gajor. And now (laughs) the stakes are higher than ever. That was not the smoothest synopsis. Uh, That was not my smoothest reading of a synopsis ever. I mean, I think he did well, and I, I think it
0: bears mentioning that I believe... This is the first uh, book that we've ever had a synopsis where some of the words had, like, the O with the line through it, or, like, the A with, like, the little, like, little bubble on top of it.
1: You get so. the feeling that Nick was frustrated that there weren't characters that you couldn't actually pull up on a keyboard in naming some of these places. <laughs> yeah, why? I mean, like, that's the thing. It, he did it by choice. He
0: did. So, it's pretty easy. I don't know. He, I will say that, uh, I don't know how on a, on a Windows computer, but... If you're using a Mac, typically if you need like a specific accent or like you know symbol above a letter, just holding that letter down on the keyboard for a few seconds like reveals all the possibilities of the different like little like symbols you can put on top. (laughs) There's your answer. I'm watching. (laughs) Libby is just holding down the letter J, and I'm seeing like all these Js pop up on the document that we share. So, um,
1: yeah, Uh, apparently is your answer. I know that that works on my um, that works on my Android Maybe keypad was, uh, yeah. on my phone. So, but not, mobile devices, but yeah, yeah.
0: Anyway, uh, yep. <laughs> it was his choice. But wasn't there anecdotally, and I don't remember if we if this was all the way back when we reviewed Rebellion's Last Trader, But wasn't there a problem where he realized that he was in hot water when he had <laughs> to. Um, have like pronunciations for the names of characters for like the audio book or something.
1: Yep. Yeah. I think yeah. he was meeting with the audio book people or at some type <laughs> of meeting and they had to go over and over the pronunciation of the names. Yeah. So that'll teach you to get all cute and clever. I mean, when you read it, so I want to take a step when you read it, it's fine. Right. Cause you just recognize the combination yeah. of letters and you're really not thinking about it. Talking about it is a whole different story. Yeah. Cause like I could, that Vargman's I could
0: this in my mind could be like, the northern province of Mu, you know, and like in my mind, I see the word. I don't have to have it. Right, exactly. Him. Yeah, exactly.
1: So being that it's a book,
0: you probably can't fault him too much for it. Yeah. So like Livia said, this is the, uh, the, the sequel to The Rebellion's Last Traitor, which we did review. I don't know the exact episode number of that, but we reviewed that when it came out last summer-ish, I believe. And... um just to catch up on that story a little bit we the main characters from that story were henrik and um his his lady friend amarian i think is how we ended up uh saying her name this so like when when we talk to nick it's just going to be like 30 minutes of just talking about how you properly say words mm-hmm. um and and they were crucial to um overthrowing the Tathadan like it says in the synopsis and the story ends basically right at the point where the overthrow like they've they've reached the tipping point where like they know that the Tathadan is done but um it kind of cuts off like very 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 shortly after that moment so we don't see in the first book any of that like elation or celebration and the fact that they've overthrown the Tathodon we just see it up to the point where you know all right we're good and then story's over if if my memory serves is that correct
1: yeah it it ended um I believe with them and again this is a spoiler if you um want to go back and read the last Well, it, it added it ended with the real beginning of the end of the rebellion if that makes sense like it, it there was right. a there was a moment and a thing that happened that really signaled that they were going to topple the government. Um, this book picks up um, sometime later after they've kind of finished that process. Um, so right. it doesn't pick up like the moment after, but it's it's uh, months. I, I want to say it's months. I think it might even be mentioned in here. Um, but they've kind of finally um, done everything they need to do to take a, a Eaton City back. That's how I'm going to pronounce it, even if it's sure. wrong. Um, Eaton City back from... Um, from the Tathadan, but that is super, super short lived. So um one of the the characters that came back to to assist with this rebellion um was uh, a Brigid, who is the like stepdaughter essentially of the woman that wound up running the Tathadan, correct? Or am I close yeah, enough? Yes yeah. and yeah. Her family had been exiled. Um, essentially and she came back and her father came back to kind of help in the in the the final stages of of that um but uh immediately brigid turns on her on her um father it was her father right
0: yeah so yeah. um and i don't have i don't have the the names in front of me but um so her, her i think it aunt was the morrigan lady morrigan or whatever her name was like the 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 evil leader woman of the Tathadan. Um, and because that woman's brother was the exiled legend of the people that was, was talked about in uh, mm-hmm. the Rebellion's
1: da- Last Traitor, right? Da- Dagda. Dagda. Is the, is it, yep. Yeah.
0: Right? Is that correct? I think that's how it went down. He yep. was mm-hmm. exiled by his sister who was in charge of the Tathadan. So there you go. Yep. So he was instrumental in helping uh, along with his daughter, Brigid. Um, finally overthrowing
1: the Tathadan, Yeah. Uh, well they turn on him and decapitate him and, and like the celebration ceremony. Yep, yeah, yeah. Yep. And essentially, um, uh, immediately, uh, take into, uh, custody, Henrik and Emirian, who are the, the true leaders of the revolution. So they've, uh, overthrown one, um, dictatorship, um, in exchange for another. Yeah, and that happens like page
0: like 5. It happens immediately. So we basically open up with like they they catch up catch you up with like the oh, we finally rooted out all like the final people of the Tathadan and and they're truly gone and now there's a celebration and ooh, guess what? They're going to kill the people and now we're back in custody in this new um, new group is taken over um that's like almost immediately, so in the first like four chapters, I think all that's done, mm-hmm. so that's where the book opens up is um this unexpected overthrow which um separates Henrik and Amarian, Henrik and his kids Cobb and Daniel,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um get taken to to one place, which is as the synopsis says like the the place to the north. That's, you know, completely separate from, um, Aiton city, Aiton, Eden. Um, (laughs) yeah, we're going to have this trouble, the whole fucking review. Um, and then uh, Marion is, stays in this, in the city and is held captive. And that's, so the whole book is basically what happens after this, this, um, double cross.
1: Yes. So, uh, yeah, they're separated. Um, Henrik is sent uh, to the land of Vargmanskor. Man, I almost good, felt like that job. was that was pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, as uh, to advise the leader there, who also assisted with, uh, I'm assuming, money and troops in, in the in the rebellion. Uh, he goes, obviously, unwillingly, but once he's there. Uh, he gets convinced that uh, what he's doing is kind of the right thing, and that those pe- weird people across the sea that he always heard of weren't nearly as bad as he thought, and things run much better there than they did in the you know, broken, eaten city that uh, that that he lives in. So he kind of buys into that rhetoric a little bit and decides to to do some work for them in, uh, you know, with the promise that once he's done, he'll be returned. Uh, he'll be returned home. Yep, and then
0: back in our. Eaton City, Emarian, uh ends up being under like it, it, being prisoner of Bridget, but like also kind of in a in a not advisory, but they want to use her uh, knowledge of of the city and, and the, you know, the the rebels and everything to kind of get the city in order. Is how it's pitched to her, like, hey we have resources we have i you know like the backing of those those northern people their resources and their they're you know uh it, we can build infrastructure to to make the city good again um but we need to but everybody's trying to kill us because we just overthrew them so um uh, we need your help to kind of get everything back in order so that we can start you know setting up infrastructure so she's pitched kind of a similar hey we have good intentions and uh we need you to help us Uh, get everything back in shape so that, you know, we can make the city good again. Um, Which I think was kind of neat because that's just totally playing on their whole, uh, everything's always been awful and everything we've been struggling for is just not have things awful anymore. We're doing everything for the people. So of course the people who overthrew the city are saying, Hey, our intention is to, to make things good for the people Uh, And you may think that we're bad people, but here's how we're going to make things better, like to try and play on that, that weakness of theirs.
1: Right. And it was interesting to kind of um, see that side of it, too. So you've got the people you think are the bad people um, who may or may not be like maybe they are doing the right thing or maybe they're doing the thing um, that they know best to do. Yep. So, I, I didn't think we were going to be able to talk about this. So, there's a lot we're not going to be able to talk about, yeah. obviously. <laughs> but since it's in the synopsis, we talk a little bit about, um, and maybe without spoiling too much, the enslaved spirits. Yeah, yeah. That caught me way off guard.
0: Yeah, that was one of the reminders that we are reading
1: sci-fi, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and quite honestly, probably the only one in this book.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it, yeah, like there wasn't much that was super sci-fi so do you want to just kind of talk about how that plays into things or just like the actual
1: mechanism of, of enslaving spirits so um, the, the uh, northern province of uh, um one of the Beautiful. reasons that they're prosperous <laughs> um, or more prosperous than Eaton City is that they essentially have a form of free labor somebody there has developed a technology that uh, essentially it's kind of tough because they kind of refer to it as souls, but I didn't really see it as souls, but it's almost like they, they take a part of a person when they turn 35, I think it was 35, right? 35. Yes. And create essentially like a, like a dumbed down clone of the person. And that's what they use for a, a lot of their labor. And that also is a way the the process through which they use creates energy. And I thought that was kind of fascinating Um, not just in that it was really kind of shocking to read in the, but you know what I mean? Like kind of threw me off as the book's just kind of trucking along and it's just a a bunch of like rebel type, you know, real simple stuff that I could understand, you know, and, and there's this loop thrown in that really brought up an interesting point of some of the people in that, in that city, not just the leader, but there are other people that, that honestly feel that, that, that part of themselves that they give up is a fair trade, for what they get in return which is you know heat and electricity and, and some sort of you know security that right. there is a force that really doesn't need much because it's, it's essentially kind of like a slave force but they're not real people mm-hmm. so i thought that was kind of an interesting you know commentary knowing nick for a few years i'm pretty sure where he falls on, on that argument and <laughs> you know even how he wrote this book Um, but it is an interesting concept, right? So it's typically, I mean, the way I see it is, and and I'm not, I'm not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with it as a concept, (laughs) but a a, a struggles with the same thing. And, And he never really comes to a conclusion, um, that, that, that I've got of, is that the, the, the better of two evils to live as he lived in his city where, you know, they didn't have water to drink. They didn't have uh, heat and electricity and all these other things. And here are these people who at least on the surface look to be living very comfortably, but all of them at 35 have made a sacrifice and given up part of themselves to contribute to the betterment of society. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And um, especially from his perspective, um, having basically suffered through, you know, war his entire life, He's He's got to be looking at it and thinking like, guys, this isn't this is if this is the worst, you know, like, you know, you're going to survive. You know, you're going to continue to live um, and you're going to have like, you know, the comforts of like a pretty stable life. Really, is it that bad? So he's he's seduced by the idea, even though like there's like a general moral kind of question to it. And um, it becomes obvious that like maybe the people who are are participating in this aren't super excited about the idea. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting moral kind of uh, wrench to throw into things. Um, and that's, I, I, I really liked how Nick set up, um, kind of a separate or like he introduced this moral question inside of a story that really didn't need anything like extra if, if you know what I mean. So it's, it's, you know, good versus evil kind of playing out. And that could have just been the whole story, but like this was a nice layer to, well, this is what we think. This is why we think the bad guys are, are bad, uh, or are they actually bad? You know, from the right perspective, they could be good. So um, he did a really good job of of playing out like the whole moral good and bad, and and how that twists people to, you know, maybe do things or or think in a way that, you know. Just had we read the first book, and someone said, "Oh, this is going on in the second book." We'd be like, "Oh, that's interesting that that character went that way because
1: I wouldn't expect that of them." Right, and that's that's us. I think there are a lot of uh, moral quandaries that that pop up in the book, and like you said, they're not necessary, but boy, they add a great layer. Um, yeah. to it, you know, it's not really saying that without thing. him, it would have been bad. It just would have been very, um, you know, just kind of narrative storytelling, yeah. um, where this is a really in a couple places, but in some thought provoking stuff where I stopped for a minute and was like, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about, this. you right. know what I mean? Where it really made me ask like which side of this, not necessarily this, but, um, you know, going back a little bit to, to the first book, you know, and um had killed somebody and that comes up a couple of times as she's kind of questioning or kind of reliving that moment. And there are times where I stopped and thought to myself, like, if I was her, did she make the right decision? Was that an acceptable, yeah. um, you know, uh, action uh, based on, you know, what would potentially come from what would what would start from there? What would continue on from there for her, you know, for her, fa- her, her family, her people, however you want to look at it. So there was a lot of really interesting things that I don't I, I don't want to say they weren't present in the first book. Because, mm. you know, there was a whole, and I remember I didn't get a chance to re-listen to our review, but there was the Henrik-Wallius yep. um, friendship that was super interesting because they were super close, but they both went different ways. And Wallius kind of went with the Tathadan so that he could have a better life for himself and his family. Um, Henrik uh, worked for them like he had to, but it was always kind of as a you know, kind of undermining them, so to speak. So there was a lot of, you know, moral questions there of what do you do in that yep. situation. Um, but this one really seemed to kind of bring all a lot of that stuff to the forefront of the story.
0: Yeah, he did. Now that you mentioned it, like he did a good job of passing off those moral quandaries onto the reader in the first book. But like, yeah, I think even more so in the second book. And I wonder how much of that is because he had already established the world and we didn't have to learn all that stuff and he was just free to and that's the thing i i really don't like about sci-fi or fantasy stories in general is that when like you first dip into that the first part of the whatever story it's so much world building that like it it doesn't it feels like that gets in the way of just like having a story um so you know that's like it felt with the queen of the struggle since we already knew the world We were just diving right into just nothing but really like good meaty story.
1: Indeed. Um, I don't think we could talk much more about the story. There are some things that go on with Henrik's kids that are part of the plot. Um, There are some new rebels that make an appearance that Henrik interacts with. So, I mean, you've still got kind of that same, um, that same rebel feel, but our main characters uh, as rob mentioned earlier their views have maybe changed a little bit which was also uh, you know kind of kind of cool to see and that's and let me go back to something you said because you said you know good versus evil yeah and that turns out maybe it's not good versus evil that's what was really interesting about this too not just from the standpoint of we're talking about these weird soul clones or whatever but um Like I said, just the ability to see that the other side maybe has the same intentions, like they want things to be good and they're not evil. They're just going about it a very different way. But depending on which side of the fence you're on, the other side is immediately evil. And I think that's, you know, I'm not going to get all political, but a lot of that is happening very much (laughs) today. Yeah. Um, Not everybody who believes that there's a different way to do things um, than you is necessarily evil. So that was kind of nice to, to see that reflected in his, uh, in his story.
0: Yeah. And a lot of it came down to, um, and I'm going to see if I can, I'm going to try and say this, you know, the best way possible that I can think of, uh, but a lot of it came down to, um, how far are you willing to go for the thing that matters to you, uh, comma, it turns out we're all capable of doing the bad thing. And um, it's, it's just a matter of how we justify it in a way. Like everybody in this book has killed somebody, um, you know, and it's just the, what's the justification for it? Like, is it because you're, you're trying to fight for freedom? Is it because, you know, and, and so that, that was a unique, not a unique, that was a lens that I thought was pretty interesting to see is like, he would contrast something that, you know, one character did, Versus, you know, who a character who might be considered good, uh, a c- character who might be considered bad did the same thing, and like look at what was the reason or what was how justified was it based on like whatever the 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 situation was, and really got you questioning like, well, yeah, how easy is it to say that you know, that person was good and that person was bad in this situation? Yeah,
1: it reminds me, and I wish I could um, credit this to where I heard it. Um, but I know fairly recently I heard somewhere that nobody sees themselves as the monster. Um, And and I want to say it was in relation to people, but I think someone was making a, a, um, you know, even a reference to like movies and stuff like, like even the the bad guy in a movie doesn't see himself as the bad guy. Right. And yeah. Yeah. So super interesting. Um, I would have always picked the, the bad path. So every time I ask myself a question about this book, I was like, "Shoot that bitch right between her eyes." Yeah, that was usually my answer.
0: Yeah, so it kind of pushes you into that um, self reflection. Not only are you're trying to figure out how you feel about what the characters did and why, but like, Livius was saying, you know, how would I have acted in that, and, and how justified would I have felt, how much guilt would I have felt, and you know, after the fact, and things like that. Um, and I, I don't think I felt that strongly about the the moral gray area part of what the book does um until we were talking about it but it's it's very very big and obvious now that we've kind of talked through it a little bit
1: all right i don't know if there's much else to say yeah
0: yeah i mean (laughs) it's tricky because uh everything else is a spoiler so and and we know uh I, i i'll talk about the the ending in general this is one of those books where like i felt like I'm reading and reading and reading and, and suddenly I'm seeing how many pages are left. And I'm thinking, how the hell is he going to wrap this up, you know, with this, you know, with the small number of pages that were left. So I feel like the, the story had good momentum all the way through to the end and is definitely ended off in a way where this isn't the final book in a series. So um, I'm not saying questions weren't answered or there wasn't like a ha- like a, a, a strong ending to the book, but like, there's still a lot of momentum to the story.
1: Indeed. All right, I do want to say one more thing. I've been debating saying this, but um, you know, the most of the problem that came from this book came from at one point Amirian is able to sneak a letter out to Henrik. Uh-huh. And a lot of the bad stuff that happens in this book is due to that letter. It's due to Emirian jumping to conclusions. Yeah. Cuz bitches are always jumping to conclusions. <laughs> That's really that I was is, just <laughs> all that was just for me to say bitches always jumping to conclusions. So
0: that reminds me of I've I've shared with you like the my what I think is probably the best meme ever with um uh, Jason from Friday the Thirteenth right Yep bitch like, is always tripping yeah. over shit Yep it's like for it's just a picture for the listeners it's a picture of Jason and it's it's there's like two different groups of text and the first one says like oh she's running away and then the other part is I'm gonna wait till she trips over nothing bitch is always tripping over nothing. Oh, my God. That is like the height of comedy and wit right there.
1: It is. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Let's do. Let's do. uh, (laughs) All right. Because you brought up Jason and because this is timely, or at least when we're recording this, it's timely. Did you see that someone in Minnesota Mm -hmm. put a full-size statue of Jason (laughs) underwater? (laughs) Yeah. Which the problem with it is, is that it got that it information got out because now people will go there just to see it and right. nobody is gonna stumble onto it by accident, if that yeah. makes sense. And like, so um,
0: underwater shit their pants. Yeah. yeah.
1: That is uh that is pretty hilarious. I yeah I, <laughs> uh, I was a big fan of the early Friday the thirteenth movies. Those,
0: yeah, they're they're good. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, can you imagine though you're at that lake and you're just like, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, it's a nice sunny day. Water's really clear. I'm going to go, you know, do a little swimming around underwater.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's Jason. You and I would have never found that Jason ever. No. Ever.
0: <laughs> Unless you can see him from the beach or like yeah. from the yeah, okay. from the shore. <laughs> That's All funny. Right. Yeah, that was cool.
1: Um, why don't you go ahead and wrap this one up?
0: All right. So uh, anybody who's been a longtime listener will know that we've always had um, a good relationship with the author, Nick Corban, and, and I'm pretty sure that I've anything that we've talked about of his, I've I've reviewed very favorably. So going into this book, I was, you know, I was looking forward to um, a story that I would enjoy. Um, and, and listeners will also remember that Livius and I aren't super into sci-fi or fantasy books. And this is definitely sci-fi. Um, although, like Livius mentioned, way less than, you know the book outside of, you know, some a couple of small things is just, you know, uh it could have all happened in, you know, my hometown or whatever. So, um thankfully for what 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 helps this book and and my appreciation of it is the fact that like pretty much all the necessary world building was taken care of in the previous book. So I felt very comfortable starting the story, just reading and knowing pretty much what was going on and what this meant and what that meant. So there wasn't a lot of me, you know, reading and thinking, oh, what the hell's going on? Because I, re- I remember in our in our review of Rebellion's Last Traitor, one of the things I said was it took me like four or five chapters to realize that we were switching perspectives. Each chapter was coming from a different character's perspective because I didn't know what a Wallius was or what a Henrik was. So I didn't know that there were characters whose perspective we were seeing things from. So um, very comfortable just diving right into this story and, and knowing what it meant. And and so that was really the only thing that I even struggled with in the, in the first book. So just excellent story through and through. Um, he took this story in a, in a direction I really didn't expect, um, which threw out a lot of the... Uh, moral questions that we were talking about and everything. So I thought the story was really good. I think the further development of the characters and challenging them in ways that we weren't expecting was really good. And, um, the, we didn't talk much about the kids, but you know how Henrik and, uh, being a father is different in this story than the last, um, and the challenges that he faces and the things he's, he's choosing to do, um, with the kids as the as kind of the the reason or justification, all that was done very well. So I think he just I mean in sh- simple terms he just knocked it out of the park. I think this book was awesome. So I'm gonna go
1: four and a half stars. Yeah, this. Um... Uh, not not to keep him from winning any kind of science fiction award, but uh, yeah, the, the book is barely sci-fi. Uh, the, the first one too was very, very light in the sci-fi category. So as I think back through it, there were a lot of weird names, um, but then there was that uh, the Hendricks job where he extracted memories from people. And that's the only thing I remember from that one that was really outside the norm um, of a book that, um, you know, would just be about a city that's under tyrannical, you know, uh, leadership or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, so this one even, like I said, peels back on that a little bit and then throws a wrench in it in the middle with the the soul clones, um, as I've uh, decided to call them. It's not what they're called, the book, but I don't remember what the, the unpronounceable name for them is. So this book is about uh, people um, kind of seeing the other side of the coin. Uh, it's about people choosing to do things different ways um, with Maybe the same intent um, and really what you're willing to do to protect your home, your family, um, your way of life, maybe. Um, so I found a lot of it really, really fascinating and nothing against Nick. Um, surprising. Um, it's not really what I was expecting um, from, from this book, um, not that I don't expect it from Nick. I just didn't think the story was going to go in a direction that was going to make me, um, uh, co- question, you know, how I would morally handle something, um, and numerous points in the book. Uh, so for that, uh, alone, um, a lot of value, the story reads really quickly. It's a very interesting story. You do want to find out where these people land on these issues. Um, you know, as, as there's kind of some, some twists and turns through the course of the book. And I, I really like the uh, the introduction of these uh, these, you know, kind of almost otherworldly creatures, you know, these science experiments or, or, or whatever. And I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing where the third book goes because um, I do believe that there's a third book upcoming. Um, yeah, I I really enjoyed it, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna echo Rob and do four and a half stars. Yay! So we will be having Nick on. It's probably the next episode you're going to hear. Um, we haven't really talked about it. I don't know. I, I really liked uh, what we did with Seth Harwood. So I think it might be less interview, more just let's shoot the shit about some stuff. Obviously, sure. we, we're going to have some questions about the book and, and whatnot. But that will be coming up uh, likely in just a few days as it's going to be a bonus episode for you guys um, this coming week. Much like our Annihilation Review is a bonus episode last week. We're really, we're really putting them out there.
0: We are just pedal to the metal,
1: man. We are. Um, Rob sent yeah. me some some frightening statistics the other day
0: <laughs> i said a, i up i always hit you i i so for people who aren't aware like i i am a nerd for statistics and so like every now and then i'll just be looking at something and i'll st- statisize it that's not a word but now it is um so I was, should i say the actual stats the scary stats sure yeah so i was like really excited because i noticed um i was looking at you know some of our, our, our reporting that we get and stuff like that and i noticed that like I was like, man, we really did a lot in February. So in the month of February, we did seven episodes of of Booked. And this one that we're recording now, we're recording in February, but probably we'll post the first couple of days of March. So miss that one, unless I'm really ambitious tonight, which I won't be. Um, but, and so I was really excited. I was proud because, you know, It's more content for people, and we're trying to do more books and everything. So I texted Livius. I was like, "Hey, we did seven episodes in February," and then I looked back a little more and I realized, "Oh, but we've done nine this year." (laughs) So that meant we only did two in January. So (laughs) Mm. not as impressive when you put them all together. But like the month of February, we really just like
1: yeah went nuts. See, that's the fucked up part about statistics, though, (laughs) is the statistics. It's all in how you look at them. Yeah. And and most statistics can be, did we talk about this on the podcast before? I feel like I had this conversation, like some of it's just in like in how you word things. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it, you go, oh, wow, that sounds like a lot. But really, if you, you know, flip it around and talk about the, the, you know, the other percentage, you can make that one sound, you know, I mean, it's all in how you present it. But, yeah, that's it, man. <laughs> it's a lot of episodes in February, at least probably going to have a lot in march too just a guess
0: yeah i i get the feeling that um that's going to be the case so like this episode is i think 385 for us which means we are so close to ticking over into 400 um which is awesome and mm-hmm. uh you know there will be 397 episodes more than livius ever thought that we would have
1: that's correct <laughs> um rob i would like to um I'd like to give you an opportunity that you probably that you probably didn't think about taking yourself, and uh, this might be the only time um, that we ever do this podcast that you're going to have a, a real opportunity to to talk about your your hometown where where where, where you grew up. Oh. So what yeah. listeners may not know is that Rob's little home t- hometown has received national and probably international coverage at this point. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do you want to do you want to share with people where where you come from? Uh I and
0: and I can't tell you how many times uh since the Black Panther movie came out, I can't tell you how many times I've I've wanted to go on social media and say we we you sh- we shouldn't be encouraging Wakanda um because I I'm from Wakanda, Illinois, W A U C O N D A. Uh, Wakanda, Illinois, which is pronounced the same way as the Wakanda from Black Panther. So, um, people have been apparently calling like the town of Wakanda and asking about the vibranium if they have vibranium. And so, like, it's all over Reddit, and then, and then because it's all over Reddit, it's all over everywhere else. It's on news broadcasts and stuff like this, um, and it's just I I didn't have such a great opinion of the town of Wakanda. So the fact that they're getting all this like attention is not. I'm like, come on, guys, just let it go.
1: Dude, I think it's hilarious because when I first I, I I've known of the Black Panther character for for many years, but I, I never really knew about you know what country yeah. he's from and stuff. You know, so when I first started seeing things about the movie, a second it popped up, I was like, oh, that's kind of. Yeah. <laughs> different spelling but you know i mean i I lived near wakanda for 25 years now so uh, yeah but god damn it all these posts are going (laughs) viral and then and then i see i think it's the mayor of wakanda who is a really really heavy set white guy wearing the smallest black panther mask ever like sitting (laughs) at his desk like you could see his like his, it, 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 I'm not trying, but I mean, he's got these fat cheeks that are like bulging out the sides yeah. of the mask. And I thought, none of this is okay. <laughs> like, just, so, just, don't, just don't
0: do it, man. Well, and all right. So, and I, I, I'm going to dig deeper into that mayor thing in a minute. But um, uh, just to kind of play out in general, like, so the Black Panther movie um, it has, you know, uh, implications for the African-American community. It's like a big... It's a big deal movie, right? And Wakanda in Illinois has like the whitest population. I know four ever. people
1: from Wakanda and all
0: of them are white. And so right. And so the tricky part of this is like they are gaining attention because of the name of their town. Um it's and and, and so they're playing into it because, you know, for like I'm I'm going to, you know, assume just good natured fun. Oh, Wakanda. Ha ha, we'll put on the mask. And they they don't think anything about it. But people are criticizing them for being like insensitive or racist even at some points, which is just Did somebody actually do that? Oh, I've seen, yeah, I've seen some serious... Oh, I
1: haven't seen that. I just looked and I was like, this poor fat (laughs) old white guy (laughs) shoved himself (laughs) in his Black Panther
0: mask. Yep. So I've seen a little bit of that, and hopefully that's not a big thing because you have to think Regardless of whether they play into the the similarity in name or not, it's going to be people associating that town with the movie no matter what. So whether they ignore it or they, you know, kind of goofy, put masks on and put photos online, they're getting that attention no matter what. So I don't think that they're like intentionally saying, oh, we're Wakanda, whatever. I can't um, believe
1: it. All right. I, I guess seen, I yeah. believe it. I just I hadn't seen it.
0: <laughs> Here's the thing. And this is going to blow this is going to blow your mind. So the mayor of Wakanda, he is the stepfather of Adam and Oshkosh, whose legs don't work. Holy shit! I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. So that so like you've probably seen like the, the photo that's multiple panels and everybody's like in a different like you know police car mm-hmm. or like the, yep. like the the hot dog stand or whatever. Um. So the, in the center is the guy who's the mayor. Yeah, that's Lincoln and um he's he's uh he's Adam's stepfather. So I've known that guy <laughs>
1: since I was a child. Dude, and that actually puts you in the Marvel universe, I think.
0: I think yeah, I'm officially If you know
1: the mayor of Wakanda since you were a kid, yeah, and you're going to have a walk-on role in the next Avengers movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so like and that's the thing, he you know, I, this is no comment on the character of of you know, the mayor of Wakanda at all, but like it's nothing I would ever brag about like knowing him. So like, (laughs) that's why I'm like, let's just let this thing die because I don't, I don't, while I, I have an association that I don't want to like blow up uh, over. Um, sure. It's just, it was, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, uh, you s- the sudden fame and you're just like, oh, my God, just let it die. You're the neighbor that doesn't care. You're like, just get off my lawn. I'm, I'm the get <laughs> off my lawn person right now.
1: <laughs> um, my town's claim to fame is that uh, we had a contestant on Wheel of Fortune tonight.
0: The actual tonight? Tonight that, yeah, we're, tonight, recording this?
1: that we're recording? Yeah, like three hours ago or whatever it was on. Wow.
0: Were they wearing a Black Panther mask?
1: Uh, no. No. Mm. No, she was not wearing a Black Panther mask, but she was from the town I live in. Uh, and she did very poorly.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything that um, Wakanda, Illinois, was known for before the Black Panther movie came out. Um, I don't know. Probably a high volume of high school graduates who become strippers. It's it a sleepy little town. I mean, I don't, you know. I... <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what it is. Not the Not Your Father's Root Beer Oh like yeah, that alcoholic root beer—that's yeah. mm-hmm. from Wakanda. So uh, interesting. In the in the last decade, that town is really gaining some national notoriety.
1: Yeah. So good lord. Like I said, I wanted to give you a chance to brag about your your hometown.
0: <laughs> you didn't know how hard I was trying to not talk about my hometown. <laughs>
1: No, I didn't. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, that's really that's uh, that's about all I've got. We have uh, we have another podcast we have to record tonight um, for The View. We'll be reviewing the newest episode of The X-Files. Um, next episode you'll be hearing from us will be Nick Corpin. And uh, I think that's it. Do you have anything else, Rob? Uh, no, unless you want to talk about Dolly Parton. <laughs> no, no, I don't. All right.
0: Uh, then that's gonna (laughs) that's gonna do it for this episode i feel like
1: we have to explain that (laughs) we don't have to explain nothing it's our podcast yeah yeah
0: if you haven't heard about anything with dolly parton in the news lately then you haven't been looking at the internet join us very soon for our interview with nick corpon until then i'm rob olson
1: and i'm libius and keep reading